I have a saying, right? Through the struggles, you get the strength. This is the Think Big Property Podcast, where Nyang earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has millions of questions. In this special episode, we're going to be discussing the current state of the world in relation to the global pandemic that is still ongoing. We delve into how it is impacting on the property market, strategies that you should use to implement to protect yourself, some of the next steps you should be taking to get through this crisis and much, much more. We have never experienced anything like this before and hopefully never will again but the situation is rapidly changing as the COVID-19 virus continues to impact on our daily lives. We catch up with Nyang Nguyen and find out how he is traveling in these uncertain times. I'm still on that roller coaster as well but I've definitely been through a roller coaster like this before in the market corrections in the past especially with the GFC and coming out the other side. So. Um, yeah, every couple of days is obviously a blip with a couple of the uh, government announcements. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a roller coaster. And like I said, I have been through uh, challenging times before. Uh, after the rain, there's always going to be sunshine. But um, yeah, there's a, a lot of things that we can share today to one, give people some insights into what I'm doing, what you're doing, and, and how we're going to be dealing with things in the future, right? What would be really interesting to hear from your point of view because you've been through GFC and actually where they're in the thick of it all. How have you prepped yourself at this point in time to, I guess, be going through another roller coaster as we per se now? What am I doing right now, I suppose, is what you're asking. And I'll discuss maybe the, the couple of deals that I'm working on right now. I've actually got four projects on the go. I'll more specifically talk about two that are probably significant and, and give you some insight into um, what I'm doing and how I'm navigating this uh, challenging times. Uh, don't get me wrong, probably in the last 18 to 24 months, the market was challenging as well. I am in the mainly in the Brisbane market. I've got a project in Melbourne as well. Um, but yeah, more so currently, it's more of a general theme. Um, my 30 lot subdivision is a project that I started or purchased uh, roughly two years ago and we've got at least another 12, maybe 18 months to go. Um, and look, a handful of things that I'm doing right now with, with the market definitely um, changing its tune is I'm negotiating more with buyers, I'm definitely negotiating more with buyers and, and I'm a lot more uh, proactive with talking to the agents. In, in the past, you know, in, in a buoyant market, you can definitely just sit there and wait for the phone to ring and wait for the leads to come in. However, you know, I, I think um, a lot of this is reflexes, a lot of this is reflexes and rather than waiting for the market, I suppose, to hit rock bottom um, because I don't think it's, it's really even begun yet it is to be open to interactions with buyers. So one of the things I did do with my 30 lot subdivision is I staged it. So um, I did stage it so that development isn't all 30 lots in one go. Uh, stage one is 16 lots and stage two is 14 lots. So uh, last handful of projects that I've done, I've generally staged them, anything, you know, five lots, uh, 10 lots or more, uh, I generally stage it to reduce the risk. So de definitely negotiating more with buyers and, and open to their offers. Uh, the second thing that I'm doing is that I'm offering agents more incentives. Um, their lead numbers will definitely be dropping right now. You know, you, you can't do the open for inspections. You can't do the auctions um, in groups, that is. So I'm definitely offering 
uh, incentives for agents to, uh, yeah, with, with more commission to get them more hungry to sell the properties. And then the third thing is that I'm definitely pushing for the civil works to complete ASAP because I can't get paid until the civil works are done. So, you know, we're halfway through. We've got a 12-week program and subject to rain and subject to weather. Um, hopefully, we'll finish that in the next couple of months. I just wanted to ask a little bit about the delays because obviously, at this point in time, a lot of us is almost in stage three lockdown, which, you know, in people's terms and if you haven't been hearing in the news and, you know, it must be under a rock or something. But um, <laughs> but just to understand, if we're sort of around that stage two to stage three lockdown, which means that majority of us, including most businesses, are at home at this point in time. We're not allowed to even open up business, not allowed to even go out. Most tradies, from what I understand, have also been asked to stay at home as well. How does that affect your time frames? Because as you said and you pointed out, a lot of the agents can't even open homes. They can't do face-to-face as it used to be can't even run an auction in a group room and that's usually where we get a, a group of people to come in and I guess build up that in interest and through that interest, we can actually get a lot more people interested in purchasing and you know going through that. Now that that's not happening, same thing we say for example with civil works, how is that going to all impact and do you think you know there's going to be a much, much longer lead time to be able to get things done? It's definitely uh, something that I've taken into consideration. Um, let's say for the civil works, let's start with that. Um, I'm hoping and I'm crossing fingers that we don't get shut down um, in that instance and they all are on machines anyway. So they're not necessarily sitting in an office having a chat or uh, doing boot camp or anything like that. So there's no physical interaction with each other necessarily. They're all on machines there and uh, they're all self-isolated in those machines uh, specifically. So uh, I'm just crossing my fingers. I did have a chat to the civil guys last week and said, look, what happens if we go into shutdown? And you know, obviously, they don't want that as well because if they stop working, they stop getting paid. So um, it, is, it is a consideration. If that happens, it happens. You know, I'm sure if that happens, we're going to have to negotiate with the bank. Uh, the bank has given us a 12-month facility um, to pay for the um, debt back, do some pre-sales and things like that. So let's say we go into shutdown for one to two months, which would be an absolute disaster. Uh, I think that's we, we just have to bear bear our way through it. Um, and the second thing, second thing with selling land is that um, in this instance, um, they can still do private inspections, they can still do private inspections and, and it's just land anyway. So they're not going to be standing any close, you know, you can be standing two meters, three meters from each other and talking to each other. They can still be driving past uh, and looking at the land um, and then still going to builders in uh, private uh, meetings to, to look at uh, house and land packages. So long story short though, is that it may extend the project by another three to six months, maybe even 12 months. I don't think it'll extend it by 12 months, but I'm thinking maybe six months. Um, and you've got to put this all in your contingency. I think one of the biggest things that people miss um, is when they do the feasibility at the beginning is they, they try to make a deal work. Yeah, they try to make a deal work and they force it to work and they trim this and they trim that, trim the expenses, increase the end sales, to go, great, I finally got 10% yield. And you know, I've had clients who've done that and I've been very, very strong in my conversations to them. That's a big mistake uh, in doing that. It's not because I'm conservative. It's because I know I actually do the opposite. I trim the sales prices. I bring that back down and I increase the expenses to see how um, tolerant my feasibility is and how tolerant my project is. And I was even looking at my project yesterday in terms of feasibility and if we drop the prices by 20 grand by 
for every block, we'd still make 18%, right? So at the moment, it's at 27%. And if we squeezed every block by um, $20,000, average price, call it 250K, if we dropped it by roughly 20K, which is just under 10%, then we'd be still making 18% uh, yield there and still making roughly $800,000 versus roughly 1.2. And, and, and these numbers are liquid anyway. Um, plus, so that's one thing. And the other thing with that is that I've also got a extra contingency of 200K in there for things to go wrong in terms of whether it's sales prices as well as um, feasibility, uh, sorry, liquidated damages, which is uh, damages or, or delays by the um, and overruns by the civil uh, or civil works. That's been really, really helpful to hear because you factored in not only the, I guess, a, a price drop if you needed to do that, but you've also factored in a contingency of, a, I guess, a budgeted price just in case that you know anything goes wrong. So I think that's a really, really good mindset to be looking at because at the end of the day, you know, you don't know what the worst case scenario is going to kick in, but at least if you've planned ahead for that worst case scenario, you've got at least you can sleep at night thinking, okay, if I drop to whatever the worst case, which is happening right now, then at least I know what the plans are to move forward and the contingencies in place I need to do to action. And you got to realize also is that this was done two, at least two years ago when I purchased the property. It's not now, uh, two years after we were into the property. I did this two years ago in anticipation. I, I was not expecting it um, to come in this way, I'll be honest with you. I was probably thinking, you know what, we may get more expenses from a civil point of view and cost blowouts. That was really what I was thinking. But that's a, the mindset is always going to be the same. You always got to look at all the things that can go wrong, not because you're negative, but you've been through it before. And, and what I do find is that I actually do less projects than what most people want to do. And, and what I mean by that is some people want to do three to five projects a year. And make two to five hundred grand on each. I'm actually more conservative. I might do one or two bigger projects, or one big project and a handful of small projects. Um, but each of them is well considered. Each of them is mobile. Each of them is nimble, um, because it's what you just don't know when the music's going to stop. That's what I love about how your approach is, is because every time I've heard and also been to your boot camps and also worked with you very very closely, is that you you planned so many different exit strategies. It's not just one or two. You've got at least three to four, as many as you can think of because then if you can make changes and if you need to, then you can action either one of those and it sounds like that's what you've done with your 30 lot subdivisions and also all your projects as well because if things do change, which it has right now, then you've actually got those contingency in place. That way, you can actually move forward and go, okay, I can still live with it. You know, If you're dropping from say a 20% profit down to 18, that's still actually a very, very good return for a project like that. Let's say it dropped down to 10%. Um, one of my mentors just often reiterates to me in tough times like this, it's just about survival, right? It's just about survival in, in multiple ways. One is financially. If you're able to survive times like this and still come out with two to $500,000, just like I did in the GFC, we were meant to make a million dollars. We came out with 200 grand. That, that's one surviving financially. And when you survive financially, it allows you to two, survive emotionally uh, as well because there's nothing worse spending one, two, three, five years doing property projects, you might accumulate a fair bit of wealth and to lose it all in one go. Let's take a step back and I guess maybe reflect on the lessons that you've learnt back in the GFC and how have you taken those lessons to apply to right now because as you mentioned, you know, if you can survive through a GFC for example like that and go through a survival mode, you come out much better emotionally and also 
mentally, you know, it also makes you a stronger person as well. But what are some of the lessons that listeners can take away from what you've learned there and then start applying them as of today? One of the mindsets that I've had is using other people's money, right? Using other people's money. In this project, it's 100% other people's money. And it's a skill that needs to be learned. It's a skill that needs to be mastered and always raising money and getting funds from banks and from investors before you actually need it. So I think that's definitely one thing for people to consider into the future. It may not be an immediate thing that they can do right now, but definitely they need to understand and be prepared for that because on the flip side of that, if you're not using other people's money, you're using your own cash. So because I am using other people's money, all my cash reserves are for emergencies. Right, so I've got let's say X amount of dollars put aside uh, for emergencies. I actually put aside let's say a million bucks for this land subdivision, anticipating I was not going to be able to get bank funding, but now I've got it. So that therefore that those funds are now liquid, and they they're able to be either used as emergency money to purchase any uh, discounted properties or, or discounted opportunities. So firstly, is using other people's money. Two is using your own cash buffers. Uh, and, and so having those cash buffers and putting that cash aside um, and just just being able to quickly respond to the marketplace. I think that's the other thing is that some people who currently um, have stock on the market, I think if they're going to be asking or waiting for top dollar, I think that's a big mistake. Mm. Right? It's a big mistake. I'm getting low ball offers on some of my land and I'm just negotiating with them. In the past, they'd tell me, yeah, go jump. This is the price. Take it or leave it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and a month ago, you could afford to do that. A month ago, you could afford to do that. But you just don't know where it's going to be in the next 60, 90, 180 days there. So being a lot more responsive. Um, I, I have a saying, right? Through the struggles, you get the strength. Through the struggles, you get the strength. So through the struggle of the GFC and past projects that challenged me, you know, you, you have to adapt. You have to look at new ways of doing things. You have to be more flexible. Um, and, and also the, the other challenge is that for some people, because they haven't been through tough times, they haven't trialed things and attempted things that don't work. And, and what I mean by that is there might be a thousand things that you could do to, to survive this marketplace. But if you haven't trialed those things, you haven't attempted things that don't work, then you don't know what's going to work. So it's like looking for a needle in the haystack. So I'm just doing the things that I know work and work in certain circumstances and work in certain maneuvers. Um, so the, the time frame for, for most people because they haven't been through these times and survived and thrived on the other side is they're, they're clutching at straws um, to try to figure out how to play this game. So I really do feel for people you know, in, in the last five to, to ten years who've just ridden the up, up market. They haven't been through tough times. Uh, they haven't lost money. Um, they haven't you know, been on the verge of bankruptcy and crawled their way out. It's one thing to, to go there and, and potentially lose money, but it's crawling your way out and just being a, a smarter person on the other side. Not because you want to, uh, it's because you have to, because you just have to survive, right? Coming up after the break, we'll delve into how the property market and the share market link up in some ways. So when um, the share market does drop, the property market does follow in kind um, to a certain degree. How you can get yourself ready to take the most of the opportunities that will arise in these uncertain times. But I think, yeah, there's definitely opportunities uh, coming and yeah, you just got to be open to it uh, and get yourself deal ready, get your refinances ready, um, get your equity ready. If you need to sell down um, some of your 
underperforming properties, maybe now, maybe is, is a good time to do it. One of the things that Nyang hopes we get out of this pandemic. My wish for people is, you know, is to learn from what's happening now uh, in the next 10 years um, to come. So that's next. And you're listening to Think Big Property Podcast. Just from looking at past experience, just like you, as you said in the past GFC, things have gone down and people also um, got caught in that and also, I guess, panic fear set in, which meant that they had to sell things at a very, very low price or discounted price. And when things like that do happen, then that's where opportunities come in. And we're starting to see that happen, I guess, across the board, um, particularly in the share market. Like, <laughs> it's crazy how I looked at the charts. And I, I don't usually jump back into shares at all, but I'm looking at it interestingly because I'm trying to study and understand what the market's doing. And if you had a look across the board, for example, the all odds and you know the the top 200 stocks, literally most of the stocks I've been looking at, the big banks, the property companies, all of them have been half, like 50%, going from like you know $20 down to like $10. And you're thinking that just doesn't make any sense. But what's happening is that the fear of people or margin calls if people have actually purchased pro, uh, purchased shares and they've been automatically said that they have to actually sell their stocks because it's reached a bottom limit. It basically sells all these stocks and sells them down and brings all the prices of the um, shares down to a certain level which is where it is. But in the last obviously, I think last day or two, um, the prices have all been jumping up back up about 15 to 20%. But I think that's sort of a, just a knee-jerk reaction thinking that things are all over but I don't think so just from what I can observe, you know, that's what usually happens. People think, oh wow, you know, it's sort of all over but when you actually consider what's going on, we're still not in full lockdown all across Australia. There's a lot to um, digest in from what you're saying, saying there but yeah, from a share market point of view, I'm watching the same thing. I don't normally watch the share market but I do believe that there's a lot of bargains out there. Um, do I, am I saying you jump in and buy shares? No, not necessarily but I am studying them personally myself. Uh, it's just too cheap. I'm the same. I'm waiting for the right things. I've been, I set up a portfolio going, okay, this is potentially what I could be buying when it hits those prices because I know now if you studied and had a look at some of the shares, you could purchase <laughs> shares that were basically at the same price back in 2015 and you're thinking, wow, five years of a drop which is <laughs> taking that long to actually rise to drop it within say maybe a week is an absolute bargain and if you can pick up bargains like that, then you know, it'd be silly not to. There's a couple of considerations there that I'll mention is one, the property market does follow the share market not in just uh, as liquid or as quick but there is usually a 3-6 uh, month delay, maybe even 12 month delay. So that's that's one thing to, to consider there. Uh, percentage wise, it's not necessarily the same either. So don't take what I'm saying literally. Um, I'm just saying it, there is a pattern. So when um, the share market does drop, the property market does follow in kind um, to a certain degree. So one of the challenges though um, to deal with is that in the GFC, there was a, def a few fundamental differences to where we are now. One, is that in the GFC, um, the interest rates were a lot higher, right? So interest rates were 8 10%. We had low doc loans. Um, finance was very, very liquid coming up to the GFC, i.e. if you had a low doc loan or ABN, you're 18, you could sign off and get half a million bucks, a million bucks pretty easily. So with APRA, Royal Commission over the last 12 to 24, 36 months, they've definitely uh, slowed, had, had a soft landing uh, relative to the GFC from a financial point of view. So 
that, that's the first thing is that, yep, the share market's dropped. But uh, the other consideration in comparing those markets and how it's going to affect the property market is that the, the interest rates are quite low. So people's pain is going to be different. Yeah, if people, there's going to be definitely motivated sellers in various areas. I'll give you some examples where let's say they've had a margin call that you've talked about to explain to the lay viewers is that it means that someone's borrowed money to buy shares and that loan may be secured against their house. If it's secured against their house and they have to sell their house to pay back the bank, then that's a dire situation. So if you think about, you know, I often talk about uh, the four Ds, death, deceased estate, debt, and distance, right? We're not mm. talking about social distance here. We're talking about <laughs> <laughs> interstate or overseas. Um, but yeah, debt, um, definitely people who can't make their mortgage repayments, who've lost their jobs, unemployment, they will be affected by that. Um, divorce, uh, unfortunately, with people being locked down, I think that one, mental health, um, domestic violence, divorce, that's going to go through the roof, right? Yeah. People aren't used to being at home with each other two weeks <laughs> forced, right? They're, they're going to, yeah, something's got to crack. So, mate, you got two kids and so do I. So, um, we're, <laughs> we're dealing with it at the moment. I was going to say, if you don't hear this podcast coming up next, you'll know what's happened. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Tyrone's punched his computer and deleted it. Uh, no, oh, look, I think we're on day four and counting. Um, day four, day five, and uh, I think we've gone through the eye of the needle. The last few days have been pretty testing because Olivia and I, we, we've been uh, working from home for, for ages, right? I do have a, an office in the city, but um, yeah, I oftentimes work from home and we're okay, just us two. Um, but my point is that, uh, yeah, the, the four Ds, I think that because of the volume is coming down in, in terms of the buyers, um, there's, there's no in-house options anymore. Therefore, the buyer is going to, it's going to turn from a seller's market, which it has been uh, over the last 90 days, I believe, previous to lockdown. Um, yeah, to, to go into the buyer's market. So the motivated sellers, excuse me, are definitely going to accelerate. And um, I think there's going to be opportunities out there. Would I be jumping in literally today? Um, by the time you, you listen to this podcast, it'll be you know maybe a few weeks. But um, I'd say in the next 90 to 120, maybe 100, 180 days, there's definitely got to be some bargains there. But you got to get yourself deal ready. You, you can't just it's like the share market because there's some bargains and you, you're not liquid. You're not ready. You haven't got your entities ready. You haven't got your finance ready. You haven't got the investors ready. You'll just. Oh, I was just saying, like, you know, if you just do that, you literally watch it go by. And that's the thing, like, with property, you have a little bit more time between now to then because I guess if you look for the, some of the signals, which I'm watching at this point in time, is if a lot of businesses do close down at this point in time, then it's going to be at least another month or two, depending on how good their cash flow is. That that's when things will start to hurt because if you're not if they're not receiving any sales or any cash flow coming in through opening a business because if their livelihood is let's just take for example a cafe if they're not getting customers purchasing coffee and bread and whatever else that they're offering in terms of their services and products there's going to be a certain point that they've got to actually be able to find cash flow to be able to fund their rent you know because still there's going to be landlords out there who are expecting them still to pay their rent even if they're open or shut so. To, it's going to get to that certain point that things are going to start to hurt and if that ha happens then they're going to default and then that's where the rollover effects and that usually takes between 60 to 90 days for that to happen hard to say what's going to, hard, hard to say what's going to happen exactly but we are starting to see that and because we're having a forced lockdown especially a lot of places um, we're going to start to see some pain happen all across the board 
further on from that, let's look at the uh, unemployment situation. I'm not going to quote statistics because I'm not an economist or a statistician, but yeah, that, that's going to be a factor as well. So let's look at that where people, let's say unemployed, they've lost their jobs and then they can't pay rent. So even if, you know, from our point of view, let's say the government says uh, you can't evict anyone for six months, well, how are you going to pay your mortgage payments? Um, you know, even if the bank says hey, we're going to give you some relief, there's going to be people who stress. People will say, you know what, I've had enough. I don't want this leaking toilet anymore, winching tenant. You know, I've got one tenant who's just recently lost their job and we'll talk to them about, okay, what we can do. Do we give them two weeks rent free? How do we work this out? But essentially is that when people lose their jobs and then they can't pay the landlord rent and then the rent landlord can't pay their mortgage, uh, it does take time. So it, that's a good and a bad thing about property. Um, I, I think it's a good thing. It's a slow to go down, slow to go up. So it, it is a slow wave and, and then it gives you the opportunity if you're open, if you are emotionally stable. Because I'll be honest with you, during the GFC or, or post-GFC, I was still struggling and to, to pull things together. Um, I wasn't in a position necessarily to go buy things in 2009, 2010, um, or, or was in 2010. But in 2010, the market was still a bit, uh, yeah, a bit crazy, a bit unsettled. So um, I really didn't get back in soon uh, until a little bit after that. But I think, yeah, there's definitely opportunities uh, coming, and yeah, you just got to be open to it uh, and get yourself deal ready, get your refinances ready, um, get your equity ready. If you need to sell down um, some of your underperforming properties, maybe now, maybe is, is a good time to do it. Um, but yeah, just don't be um, one of those investors who just want top dollar, especially when it's, it's the wrong time to be getting top dollar. That's the challenge as well too and I'm going through this right now is I've got a few deals at this point in time that I'm currently involved in and initially going back about a month ago, we were actually going to settle but the issue with that was we were still waiting for civil works to be completed just like how you're going through and we couldn't actually sell the property until those civil works have been completed. Due to delays in council and all that kind of stuff, um, it's obviously been impacting the way it has been and therefore we're not able to sell at that previous point. So we've had to become realistic and drop the prices to be able to sell and apparently at this point in time, we're still not having many buyers coming through because I think because of the lockdown, not many people are able to come out. So we've just got to make a decision and um, recoup our capital back as quick as possible. We still are going to make a profit but not as much as we were expecting previously and due to that fact, then we've just got to sit on the sidelines after we've sold it and then just watch and assess the market and I know that a lot of people are going to be going through that same situation where you've just got to sell and get the get cash come back straight in. You know, as quick as you can because the thing is, is if the market does continue to, to fall further then the last thing you want to do is to have those funds stuck in there for, for much longer because it will take a lot longer for it to sell down the track as well. So that's a big, big learning lesson for me anyway. Um, luckily, I'm not too exposed at this point in time. As I've mentioned, uh, I've had some contingencies in place but I am starting to also reach out and try and arrange and be sort of deal ready for certain things that are happening because I want to make sure that with the opportunity does come along that I, I can actually jump in this time around learning from the last lessons from the GFC and September 11. Um, I'm, I'm trying to be on the positive and optimistic side but you know there are going to be also some issues and I guess um, some down times for a lot of other people out there who are potentially also hurting as well too. So understandably, there's going to be things that we need to consider. So what, what do you think anyway in terms of the next parts that um, people should be doing right now? 
there's a couple of things like I mentioned before is definitely getting themselves uh, deal ready, get their house in order. For some people, they might think, you know what, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to wait and watch. I think um, for the majority of people, that's what they will be doing. They're probably focusing on more um, getting a safe, secure job, right? And just getting that cash flow in uh, and just making sure that they survive uh, in these next um, six to 12 months, which is fair enough. That's a majority of people. Uh, I think from an opportunistic point of view, if you're wanting to prepare for the opportunities, uh, definitely get yourself a deal ready, i.e. maybe sell down some things that are unwanted, whether it's an extra car, extra vehicle, extra extra investment property that may not be performing. Um, I, I often say to people, you're only selling if you've got, if you need to get the debt back, i.e. reduce the debt, two, get the capital, or three, extract the profit. So, or all four is um, reduce the negative gearing. So in this instance, if your property um, is in saleable condition and you want to access this up, maybe consider maybe consider uh, selling that property. So, And I think the second thing, so from a getting deal-ready point of view is, is talking to your finance broker, maybe doing looking at a refinance because interest rates are phenomenally low. You know, I got offered uh, three, roughly 3% for five-year uh, five fixed rate. Right, and it's been dropping, dropping, dropping. Even my variable is roughly four percent, which, and for some of you, might be thinking that's a little bit high. Um, we're talking on a reasonably sized portfolio. It is from a big four, and I am self-employed from their point of view anyway. So, um, my, my point is that interest rates are a lot lower than they have been over the last twenty-four months. So, definitely look at refinancing, getting your cash flows restructured, maybe getting a, a redraw facility or a line of credit facility ready, so that. Just in case you want to access the cash, um, do that. Uh, talk to investors. I think the other thing, opportunity there is, is potentially talk to investors. Maybe half of them will be negative and say, you know, I don't want to get in. But there will be other ones who can see the light and can see, you know what, there's some bargains coming on the other side. So I think, yeah, liquidate some unwanted assets to get yourself financially ready. And thirdly, talk to investors so that um, the opportunities, when they do come, you can be ready to go. I think um, it's made me also think as, as well in terms of how to approach that in that side of things because getting finance, you know, I sort of took a step back thinking whether or not anyone would be interested in investing but I think it's kind of opened up my mind thinking, okay, why don't I just have a chat to the banks because I don't know what the banks are going to be doing at this point in time as well. I mean, like I, I know when I spoke to the bank about getting um, – I guess more loan for, for, for example, um, the business, they're actually open to help with that because they, they know that cash flow is going to be tight for the next, say, six months or so. But at the same time, I, didn't, I, I don't know if they'd be interested in refinancing but as you said, it's, it's definitely come down quite substantially and I've even spoken to a few other, I guess, um, not the top tier banks but they're even offering rates as low as 2.3-2.5%. So, I'm like, wow. That is very, very cheap finance that you can get. So it's definitely a possibility there. And if you can try and get access to that, it might be worthwhile to, you know, help with the short term. You know, especially if say for example, in instances you mentioned, you know, you've had a tenant who's also recently lost their job. I've gone through mm. the same thing. I've actually had two tenants in the last two in the last day that have come <laughs> Not back. Like it's to a me. competition, right? <laughs> <laughs> like it's a competition, right? It, it uh, sounds like it's going that way. But um obviously if it's not if they're not coming back to you and saying that there's any issues, then I'm happy. But um, when it comes to that point where they are ask, asking for help, then I know something is definitely you know going to be impacting us sooner than later. So it's worthwhile getting all these things prepared, as you said, and finance is probably going to be the key for this next, say, six months or so at least. So, wow, <laughs> there's so much that we could talk about. But I think we've kind of covered quite a lot in, in this short period of time that we've had. 
And I think you know, for listeners out there, this is just sort of more or less just for us to be able to give our personal points of views and also to, to sort of share with what we're doing because we're not, you know, we're not the people who have actually got all the money in the world and, we, you know, nothing that we touch turns in gold. It's not like that, you know, we are going through that same thing as everyone is and we feel the pain as well. But we are now looking at it from a different perspective to see how we can also um, help in, in some sense and make sure that we are also ensuring that we're protecting ourselves and looking at how to make things secure as well. The majority of people, the majority of Australians, I'd say 90 to 95% of Australians will get affected by this. There will be the, the 5% which are in the industries that are benefiting from this. But you know, if you think about, let's say, Crown Casino, James Packer, one of the richest people in the country, um, you know, his casinos will be shut down. Um, and so, therefore, from a cash flow point of view, they'd be balking Obviously, they've probably sacked thousands of people. Uh, I'm just using it as an example to say that you know we're all in this together. I know that say that saying or that phrase definitely uh, is being used a lot. But we are all in this together. Um, yeah, my wish for people is you know is to learn from what's happening now uh, in the next ten years um, to come. Um, just simply because I've seen too many people, uh, they're just naive. Um, to the changes of the property market and if I can help one, two, five people, a thousand people, 10,000 people um, just play more conservatively in the marketplace and, and protect themselves because it's, you know, it, property is easy to um, make money in but it's also very easy to lose money in when you're exposed, um, when you've got too much debt, um, when you borrow too much from investors. Um, I think just quickly, Tyrone, just before we wrap up, I, I think is that um, doing JVs, I, that's why with my clients is I often teach them two ways to do no money down deals. One is to borrow money from investors and, and then the second one is doing JVs and, and it's in markets like this where um, doing JVs can be very, very powerful depending on how you structure it um, because if, if a project takes a little bit longer, you have more interest, um, that can be quite detrimental. Um, to you because you obviously got interest loans but if you're doing a JV and the project instead of um, making 20% might make 5% you're still ahead of the game and, and you're not exposed to the holding cost so you know when people are doing joint ventures or, or doing no money down deals they definitely really understand the benefits of both and not just be greedy because sometimes uh, the greed says oh, I don't want to pay someone X amount of dollars in interest or I don't want to do a profit share because I'm giving too much away but in times like this there is a place for that that's interesting very very interesting that you say that because i mean like it's a completely different mindset but if you can get access to capital still and not use your own cash even though if you do have your own cash it's still sort of a risk mitigation strategy and furthermore as you said instead of making say 20 percent, you're still making five percent it's better to make five percent mm. than make a negative which is what's yes. going to probably happen in the next say a few months is that you know a lot of things mm. are going to turn negative and what are you going to do really there's yeah. not much you know, you can do because you'll probably be touching into your cash reserves to fill that gap and at the end of it, you might not even come out at all with a positive return. So, that's a really good point that you've made there and I think that's definitely worthwhile for people to consider as well too. And I completely get, you know, for some people who might feel a bit overwhelmed listening to all this stuff because they're dealing with their own challenges uh, personally as well. Coming up on our next special episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, we'll be talking about an important aspect you should remember, especially in these uncertain times. 
one of the things you just always got to be mindful of is exit, exit, exit. We delve into what you need to be thinking about in these times when you might not be getting the deal you wanted. There will be uh, other opportunities and you'll be able to still play versus get hit financially with a potential loss or get, get stuck with a deal that it might take another 6 to 12 months to sell. Why having good consultants can be so helpful when it comes to the varying aspects of development. I think that's part of education where you got to definitely get educated about the minimum requirements of council, the zonings, the frontages, the how a basic subdivision works, uh, frontages, legal point of discharge, sewer, water, storm water, doll before you dig, all that basic stuff. And that's next time on the Think Big Property Podcast.